Hey, my name is Troy. Me and my wife get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, let me just be the one to say welcome. Again, as Pastor Brian and Malcolm were talking about, next Sunday, we turn two years old. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. I don't know how many of you have a two-year-old, but now we know what to expect from the church based off of an actual two-year-old. Um, and so it's just going to be a great day. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of the vision of 2020. And we'll, as Pastor Brian went through all of the, the, the special things from the events to the giveaways to the food. But we'll have a great time of worship and, and I'm going to share a little bit about the vision. And then I'm going to take a couple of minutes and interview one of our missionaries, Katie Carter, is going to be here Sunday morning. So I'm excited about that. And it's just going to be a great day. And then as Pastor Brian said, we'll roll out together, eat, get fat together, and it'll be great. Okay? Cool? Everybody good with that? Um, so, so. In, in every year here at Victory Church, we try to take a word that, we, that, that I tend to feel like God lays on my heart, and that word kind of sets the tone for the rest of the year for us as a church, and it kind of has its part in the preaching and a part in the vision of what we're doing. And in 2019, that word was more. And so if you were a part of the church in 2019, that was kind of our focus and prayer was that God would do more in our life all throughout the year. And I can easily testify that he did, and, and certainly as I talk to you guys, uh, uh, the same thing. And, and this year, for 2020, our word is the word shift. Say it. Say shift. Shift. And last week, we introduced that. And so all throughout the year, I'm going to kind of come back to that word and preach on topics of it, how to shift in relationships and how to shift in our finances and how to shift in, uh, you know, in, in, our, in our Christian life and all these different things. But that, that word shift means this. It means to change, to make a slight change in direction. And so we talked about last week how you can make a slight change in your life and see a very big impact from it. And so we're all just believing to see this slight change in 2020. Um, and one of the things I want to do, I don't know that I'll be able to do every Sunday, but one of the things I want to do is I want to share a testimony uh, of a shift that somebody has seen in their life. And I'm calling them shift stories, all right? That's what I'm calling them, shift stories. I can't say it too fast or y'all leave the church. But, but shift stories is the concept. And I'm going to read one to you real quick. It says, started off, God is so good. Ladies said, we had to wait until the last day to make our online donation to Purpose Prevails. In case you're visiting, Purpose Prevails is our end of the year giving that we do. And next Sunday, I'll announce how much you guys gave total. But uh, we had to wait until the last day to make our online donation to Purpose Prevails. We knew we wanted to give, and we knew the amount we wanted to give. But with life and regular bills and unexpected bills, we weren't able to do it on the 8th. Can anybody testify to that, right? You know what it's like to want to do something, but, you know, life happens. So we couldn't do it on the 8th. So she says, fast forward to the 31st and 31st of December when we faithfully gave knowing that everything would work out. Watch this. We received a check with an additional zero to the amount we gave for Purpose Prevails. Isn't that incredible? Y'all need to be way more excited about this. If it happened to you, you'd be acting different if it happened to you. You'd be doing a little, little Jesus dance. And so she says, God is so, I like this, like six O's. He's so good and so faithful. That means that our first tithe of 2020 was the normal 10% plus the same amount we gave for Purpose Prevails on Tuesday. We are, I love this part, we are making room in our household for God to move. That's just a shift. It's a shift. In case you weren't here last week, uh, we talked about, so, so if you got your Bibles, open the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4. If you didn't bring your Bibles, feel free to look on your phone, uh, feel free to follow through on the app or on the screen behind me. And we, we introduced uh, the church to a story in 2 Kings chapter 4 that involved three characters. 
First character was a woman from a place called Shunem, and, and you might know her as the Shunemite woman is how they went on to refer, her, refer to her. Uh, another character was a prophet of God by the name of Elisha with an S, Elisha, and then one of Elisha's servants whose name was Jahazi. Jahazi. And so we were introduced to the Shunammite woman, we were introduced to Elisha, and then we were introduced to Jahazi. And the kind of concept that we read about was that Elijah had come through this woman's house, and the woman decided that she wanted to build another story onto her house and make room for the man of God. And when they did that, the result, the man of God comes to her and says, hey, you did something for me, so I want to do something for you. What can I do for you? And the woman's real timid, and she's like, ah, I don't really need anything. And then Jahazi busts in, and he's like, look, her husband's old, and she doesn't have a son. Let's give her a son. And so the man of God says, you're going to have a son, and then she ends up with a son. And so the principles that we brought out of that was that in 2020, if we want to see a shift, we need to make room for God, number one, and then we need to make room for miracles, and so we just kind of ran, and that's, that's what was so special about her testimony at the end, when she said, we are making room for God and room for him to move. And by making room for God, she saw a shift in her life. And so 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to pick up on verse 17, and we're going to pick up exactly with the verse that we left off with, but the story is going to take a turn that is probably going to be a little unexpected for us, all right? So it's about four verses that we're going to read, and it will set the tone for the message. Here we go. But the woman became pregnant, this is what we ended with last week, and the, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. Now watch this. So then the child grew, because that's what they do. You have them, and then they grow. And one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers, so he was out in the field working in the middle of the day, and the son says to his father, my head, my head. And his father told a servant, carry him to his mother, and after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he, what? Died. Do me a favor. Look at the person beside you and say, there's more to the story. Now look at the person that you don't like as much who's on the other side of you and tell them something. Say, say there's more to the story. I got marriage counseling happening right here on the front row. There's more to the story. Have you ever seen a picture before and just known, like, there has to be more to that story, right? Like, there's just times in our life where you kind of get this snapshot, and if we're not careful, we, we will define the story around the snapshot, but there's more to the story. And so, you know, if you're not careful, you look at this moment in 2 Kings 4 where this miracle that God gave her now dies in her lap, and if we see it as just a snapshot, then we don't quite understand it, but we need to understand that there's more to the story. And I started thinking about this and started thinking about moments in my life and pictures on my Facebook and Instagram where if you were to look at the picture, you might kind of create one story in your mind, but the story behind it, there's so much more to it. And I went through pictures of me in Halloween costumes and the time that my sister made me dress like a girl and so many things that I thought about telling you about. But let me show you the picture that I really wanted to use this morning. And so, so, so this picture right here, when you see it, everybody, see, oh. Oh, so sweet. There's so much more to this story that you don't understand. Because when you see this, you think, man, Troy's the best husband in the world, right? That's what you, that was, was what came to your mind, right? No? All right. Appreciate it. Um, but let me tell you the story. So, so this is, in case you can't tell, this is when I proposed to my wife, Darla, who's serving in V-Kids today. Uh, shout out V-Kids, right? They, they watch our kids while we get, we are on an hour and a half date right now. You're like, church is an hour and a half long. I'm just kidding. All right. So anyway, so this is the picture where I proposed to her. Let me tell you the story. 
So Darla likes to be surprised. And so when it came to being uh, proposed to, she said, I don't want the traditional proposal. I don't want to know that it's coming. I want to be completely surprised. And I said, gotcha. And so uh, on her birthday, I took her to a really fancy restaurant, and she just knew it was coming. And so the whole night, I, like, said things and did things to make her think, like, any minute now I was going to propose. And then I never did. And so we got, I was like, all right, you done eating? Let's go home. All right? And she's like, oh, okay. And so we, we go home. The next day, I had tickets to a Memphis Grizzlies game. She thought it was all about me. She thought we were going to the game for me because she doesn't care about Memphis Grizzlies. But I had this whole plan up, and her parents made me or, or helped me purchase and build this thing. I don't know. It's probably like 20 feet long where it just says, Darla, will you marry me? So I put that together. We got tickets for my parents to the game and ticket to her, tickets for her parents to the game. And here was the plan, that during halftime, across the basketball court on the other side of the, uh, I don't know what you, arena, her parents and my parents would get up and hold this sign, and she would look across and see, Darla, will you marry me? And then she would go like, ah, and then we would have this incredible romantic moment, right? That, that, that was what was supposed to happen. So we're at the game. I'm nervous as all get out. So I don't, I'm not even watching the game. I don't know who's winning. She's like, she's like, babe, you want barbecue nachos? And I'm like, no. And she knows something's wrong, right? Because I don't say no to food in general. And so she's like, all right, something's not right. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Halftime comes. While the halftime deal's going on, there's a live band over here to the left, all right? So I'm sitting there. She's like, you want to go get something to eat? I'm like, no, no, stay here, stay here. She's like, all right, whatever. So we're sitting there, and I see the sign go up across the arena. It's like, there it is, right? Darla, will you marry me? I can see it clear as day. Everybody around us starts going like, oh, my gosh, do you see that? Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, how, you know how women do, right? They're like, who is that? I don't know. Who's it for? I don't know. And so I'm watching this happen all around. I mean, it's like pockets of people like, they got it. 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 Like, everybody's getting it. Darla is watching the band. Okay? So I'm like, and they're not even that good. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm kind of watching her, trying to wait for her to like, you know, pan your head, pan your head. And she starts panning, y'all, and, and she gets right here and she makes this face. And I assume that she has now seen the sign and now it's my cue. So I stand up and she goes, where are you going? <laughs> and out of just straight panic, I just turn around and get down on one knee. And she's like, oh my goodness. And she starts freaking out and she says, yes. And we have this moment and it's romantic and it's beautiful. And everybody around us is like, yay. And it's such a sweet moment. And once it's all done and we're, you know, we've kissed and I put the ring on, everything's good, she, I go, all right, babe, let's go find our parents. And she goes, our parents are here? I said, babe, who do you think was holding the sign? And she goes, what sign? <laughs> to this day, which this is going to be ruined because my mom listens to the podcast, her mom watches online. They don't know. To this day, our parents do not know that she didn't see the sign. Because I didn't want to be like, hey, you came for no reason, right? You just, there was no reason for it. There's always more to the story. Say it. There's more, more. to the story. And when it comes to the shift that you and I want to see in our life, there's always more to the story. I, I was so moved by everybody lining up. And, and in case you weren't here last week, we, we wrote what we wanted to see shifted on these tags. And we pinned them to a board that's out in the lobby in case you want to uh, participate today. But I was so moved by the participation and by your vulnerability to get up and do it. And, and I took every one of those and, and I've been praying over them this entire week. I took them in front of our directors. We agreed and prayed over them. But a lot of them... If, if you looked at the tag and read what it said, you would say there's way more to the story. 
than just that. You know, I couldn't fit it all on the tag. Some of them couldn't even get it to write on the tag. But, but you know, it was one word, and there's way more to the story. And as you and I start preparing for the shift that we want to see in 2020, I want to take just a few moments today and talk about some of the things that we can expect to see with our shift. Because there's way more, way more to the story than just our shift. And so I want to talk about what we can expect to see with it. You ready? Number one is this. We can expect to see a problem with our shift. Right off the bat, we can expect to see a problem with our shift. Look what it said in verse 20. After the servant had lifted him up, carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he was healed. Now what happens? She gave him some Robitussin and some Neosporin. And he was good. Nope. Now what happened? Ate a vegan meal and then was good. Right? Nope. Now what happened? Then he what? Died. So watch this. God gives her her miracle. And then her miracle dies in her lap. You got to help me with that. This woman is praying for change. And, and along with change, she gets another challenge. You ever been there? Praying for God to do a change in your life. And, and you might get the change or at least start seeing some movement towards the change. But in the process of it, you end up with another challenge. And it's like, God, I didn't pray for this. I prayed for change. I didn't pray for him to die. I prayed to have a son. What's the point in having him if you're just going to allow him to die? And here's one of the things I'm learning. That the problem with any real shift of direction is that we have to endure a season of discomfort. In any real season, if you wrote, if you really want to see a shift in your life, you say, man, I really want to see a shift in my marriage. I really want to see a shift in my finances. I really want to see a shift in my health. I really want to see a shift in my spiritual life. Any real, real shift of direction, you are going to have to endure a season of discomfort. Just going to have to. Because watch this. She got the son, but the son came with suffering. Right? We can all relate to this, and, and I'll give you some examples. We, we have all had moments in our life where we were excited for change, but forgot that change comes with challenge. For example, a lot of you, as December closed down, you set diet goals for 2020, right? You got you a vision board, right? And you, got, you, you went on Pinterest and pinned some things, and you had all these meals, and you were ready to, to lose all this weight, and you were going to, like, drink water for half the day. You know, you're going to get, like, a gallon thing of water and take it to work, and you're going to have a leaf of spinach and a pecan for lunch, you know? You know and you were like, and then at dinner, you know, you would do tofu, and then you were going to, you were so excited. And so you were telling people, you know, you were, you were, like, finding people's results, pictures, and posting them all over your mirror. You were so excited. And then about four days into the diet, you're in purgatory. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you feel like all you, you want to squeeze the eyes out of people that get to eat cheeseburgers and fries. Like they don't understand. Like some of us, we just sit in the house and stare at a Coca-Cola. Like we just look at it. Like maybe if we look at it long enough, the, the Coke will just come out of the can. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you, you went from being so excited about it to now it's a challenge. I'll give you another example. We as a church are fasting right now. 
And it never fails, myself included. About, you know, December, late December, I'll start talking to some of the people at the church about the fast, and we'll be like, man, I'm so excited. I'm ready to kind of get my life back in order, and I'm fasting, you know, uh, TV, or I'm fasting social media. I'm going to get rid of all that stuff, and somebody be like, yeah, I'm fasting food, and so not only am I going to be in shape, but I'm going to get all those toxins out, and everybody's so excited. They're just so excited. God's going to move. I'm going to hear God. I'm so spiritual. Like, it's such a, it's such a cool thing. It's like, fast 2020, let's go. And three days into January, we look like the cast on The Walking Dead. You know what I'm talking about? We're just like, you coming to church just hating people. Like, why you even got breakfast out and Dream Team Care? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just, you go from like this excitement of change to a challenge. Am I right? Some of you were like, this year, I'm a, we're going to save money. We're going to straighten out our finances. Then you found out that means that you now have to drink your coffee at home. And you don't get it from Starbucks anymore. And you can't believe that you don't get the decorated leaf in your coffee cup. Hashtag first world problems. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and you just said you're just miserable because what happened to the froth that you get normally, but you don't know how to froth at home. You know what I'm talking about? So you just have black coffee at home and life is miserable. And what was once exciting is now a challenge, right? Because every change comes with a challenge. I wrote it in my notes like this. With every shifting, there must be a stretching. With every shifting, there must be a a stretching. If you want to see a shift in your marriage, there's going to be a moment where you are going to have to stretch. See, when we see a shift in our life, we see other people having to stretch. But anytime we want a real shift, we have to expect to do some shifting, right? If we want to see a shift in our finances, there's going to be a moment for us where there's going to be some stretching, where we're going to have to say no to some things and do some different things, because every time there's a shifting, there must be a stretching. I'll give you a a pretty realistic example for me. Um, Because of some things that happened to me as a kid, before we planted the church, I had my two front teeth were extremely crooked. So, I mean, they like they had broken up and were splitting ways. You know what I'm talking about? Like one was going that way, one was going the other way. It, It was rough. And so I remember talking to Darla. I heard way too many laughs from the back. <laughs> Pastor Brian is having way too much fun with that. Um, and so, so I remember talking to Darla, and I was like, babe, we got to fix this. You know, we, we, I can't be trying to pastor this church with this. And, then, and I didn't really want to get braces because that's a lot of work and different things. And so we found out about this thing called Smile Direct. Y'all heard about this? Smile Direct, come on now. Uh, this is a free advertising. We better get sponsored. And so it, it's, like, it's kind of like a, a clear retainer. And so they do all this work on your mouth, and they send you these clear retainers, and they send you like 150 of them, or whatever it is, not really. But, but you have to put a new one in every two weeks. So you get one, and you pop it in, and you wear it for two weeks, and you throw that away, and you get another one, you pop it in. And the concept is that they, they looked at your teeth, and they, they formed every retainer as if your teeth were shifting just a little bit. So when you put it on, there's discomfort. Matter of fact, when you get them, they give you a chew toy. I'm not lying, Okay. Because when you put them on, you can't fully get them on because they don't line up with the way your teeth are. And so you take this little chew toy and you chew on it and it pushes them to where, they, and then now it's shifting your teeth. Sound, think, yes. <laughs> let, let me tell you how much y'all should love me. For the first year of the church, I had those. So I would take them out, come preach, get done preaching and go put them back in. Right? Y'all should love me. Okay? And so it was, just, it was horrible. It was, it was, the first couple of days were so painful. Because what it's doing is it's literally moving your teeth. It's shifting them. And so I remember I was praying one morning. I to call Darla. I said, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, I'm three days in. I'm done. Like, this is just too much. 
but I was so passionate about seeing the results that I stuck with it. And about day seven, day eight, got a little bit easier. About day 10, 11, 12, it got a little bit easier. And then here's the catch. After day 14, you got to take those out and put brand new ones back in. So you have to go back through it again. But it's just a consistent discomfort because it's shifting. Now, all of us go, duh, right? Was I, did I surprise any of you with that? Were any of you surprised that there was discomfort when my teeth are moved by force? Okay, you've never gone to the dentist and be like, this is going to be a great day. I'm gonna, we're going to have so much fun. You know, I, I got a dentist appointment coming up with Malcolm. I'm scared to death. I'm thinking about if I'm praying that the rapture happens before the dentist appointment. That's how important. It's just, it's not fun. And that's fine with us. But for some reason, we think we can have a life-altering shift and there not be discomfort? Why would we think that? Why would we believe that? If something's really going to change in our life, there's going to be a moment of stretching. There's going to be a moment of it that you don't care for, that you wish wouldn't happen, that you'd much rather do it without. Can I tell you something? If we could all get in shape without diet and exercise, we'd all be in shape, right? But some of us are like, it ain't worth it. Like, it's just, it just ain't worth it. I'm going to die soon. It ain't worth it. But yet we want this shift in our life. And here's what I want you to learn, is that the pain is sustainable if the promise is satisfying, or if the purpose is satisfying, or if the prize is satisfying. The pain is sustainable. The reason why I was able to keep through that is because I knew there was something at the end of it that I really wanted. And so on days when it was really hard, I just go, you know what, my shift is worth the stretch, right? Sometimes the pain, even though how bad it is, can become sustainable if that promise, if that purpose is satisfying enough. I'm approved to you right now, every woman in this room, I'm approved to you that you have the power to sustain pain if the promise is satisfying enough. Here's how I know. When Darla had our first child, I was in the room during labor. I was not in the room for the second child. Your brother knows how to learn a lesson. So I'm in the room because I don't know what to expect. I don't know how y'all do this. I don't know if it's just like, ready, count, three, poop, we're done, right? I don't know. I mean, I've seen the movies, but they're not realistic. And so, I mean, and it was, it was not a good experience for me, okay? She was in a lot of pain. It was, I don't remember how many hours it was. It felt like six and a half years for me. Probably felt, I mean, I wasn't doing nothing. I was eating Cheetos going like, this is horrible, you know? Like, I mean, what, what happened? And so there's a reason why God didn't leave it up to men. There wouldn't nobody be on this planet. We would have been done. First person would be like, I'm out. You know what I'm talking about? Like, nope, I saw what happened to him. Nope, that happened. His belly got big. He was crying. Nope. And said so it had been done. So I'm in this experience, and I'm like, so, so when it's all said and done, and we take this little alien-looking creature home, I'm like, you know what? We're done. She's, I saw what she went through. She's not stupid. We ain't going to do that again. You know what I mean? Like, that ain't happening. I wouldn't worry. And about a year later, she's like, babe, you ready to have another one? I'm like, another one? Like, were you there? Did you see that? Did, did you see what you went through? You want to do that again? You know, it's because it's like, it's like amnesia, right? You forgot what you went through. But that purpose was so satisfying that the pain was sustainable. 
You find somebody who's really into working out, really into working out, that they've made it a culture. You'll see them in the gym. They'll be, they'll be hurting. Like, I'm, can I be honest? Can I be real with you real quick? I, sometimes I run at the gym, so I, so I don't do squats. And this week I said, I'm going to do some squats. I can barely move right now. <laughs> Everything in me. I, I thought about just being like, worship, you just spirit lead the rest of the day. I can't even, I can't even move. And, and, and so, but you'll find out, like, it hurts. But people who really love it, the pain is sustainable for them. So they keep going back. I, I have learned, uh, in case you can't tell, in case you've been here long enough, I have tattoos. And tattoos hurt when you get them. It's the truth. It's a needle going in your skin. It hurts. But for some reason, the whole time you get a tattoo, you're like, mm, I could have done without this. And the second it's done, you're like, I want seven more. It's insane. It doesn't make sense. Because, again, there's just something about the reward or the prize or the purpose that if it's satisfying enough to you, then the pain is sustainable enough for you. It just happened. Look, I want to show you what Paul said. He's writing a letter to the church in Galatia. I'm sorry, the church in Romans, in Rome. Right, writing a letter to the church in Rome. And they're, they're experiencing all this persecution. Watch what he says. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Here's what he's saying. Paul doesn't say you won't suffer, right? Matter of fact, he guarantees that you are going to suffer. But what he says is the suffering that you are going to be in in present day will not compare to the glory that will be revealed in you after the process. Okay? You hear this? So if I go through the shifting, the reward in my shift is worth my stretch. All the suffering, all of the pain, all of the confusion, all of the unmet expectation, all of that will be worth it if I can just get my shift. Something that's been revealed in us. God is wanting to do something in you, but it has to be worth your shift. It has to be worth the stretch. But if I was honest with you, I'd tell you this. Some of us get to comfort in our discomfort. It's like dysfunctional comfort. Think about it. The Bible said that she took the kid into her lap and let him stay there until noon. Chances are that they were out in that field at about 4 a.m., which you're talking, what's that, about eight hours potentially that she could have had this kid in her lap when she could have already taken him to Elijah to be healed. But there's something about having your baby in your lap that's comfortable. There's comfort. So she sits there with him while he's sick and waits for him to die. When if she would have just got up and went to Elijah, maybe he would have been healed before he died. Is it possible that we sit in, in our discomfort because we've become comfortable in our discomfort? You know what I mean? It's, it's dysfunctional, but I'm comfortable. My marriage is dysfunctional, but at least it's comfortable. My finances are dysfunctional, but at least I know where to go to get money when I need it. Like it's dysfunctional. But watch this. But it's comfortable. And so I'd rather stay in my dysfunction than to become uncomfortable and find freedom. Isn't that wild? We would do that. I, I, I'm miserable. Why, but then why not change? Because if I change, things are no longer comfortable. But you're miserable. Which one is better? Is it the present comfort or is it the glory that will be revealed in us when it's all said and done? So there's a pain that comes with your shift. And I'm just telling you now. Because I, and I've always been tried to be a very real preacher to you. And there's moments where we're just in the line going, ooh, God's going to deliver me, God's going. And then we walk out and then the whole world hits us in the face. And I'm just trying to tell you, with your shift, it's going to be pain. It's going to be discomfort. 
but if you will sustain it, you will see the glory that becomes revealed in you. Amen? So there's going to be a problem with your shift. Number two, I want to talk to you about the patience with your shift. Patience with your shift. Again, watch this. 2 Kings chapter 4, shoot me those verses up there. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door. That's going to be important in a minute. Then she shut the door, went out. So these verses we haven't read yet. So he died in her lap. She went up. She laid him, her son, on the bed of Elijah's bed in his house that she built. Then she shuts the door and she goes out. She goes downstairs. She calls her husband and says, hey, please send me one of your servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. He says, why go to him today, he asks. It's not the new moon. It's not the Twilight Trilogy, right? It's not the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. That's all right. I want you to see what happened. I told you to focus on the fact that she shut the door. Check this out. Her son is sick. She picks him up. Or I'm sorry, her son dies. She picks him up. She takes him into this house, goes up the stairs to the newest room, opens the door, lays him on the bed, and then she shuts the door. Any of y'all got kids that are still napping currently? You know what it's like to shut that door? You're like, you look like Ethan Hunt on Mission Impossible. You know what I mean? Just like. That's what I picture. Like she lays down, she shuts the door. Then she goes downstairs and she's like, yo, hubby, I need your ride and I need one of your boys. We're about to go fix this. And he starts trying to give her excuses, which I'm going to talk about later, on why, he should, why she shouldn't go. And she goes, that's all right. Don't worry about it. That's all right. She doesn't even tell him that their son has died. Doesn't even, here's, what, here's, here's the conclusion I came to with that. Why am I so uncomfortable with her level of composure? I, I'm just uncomfortable with that. They bring her her son. He is sick. And she's like, oh, baby, just come here. Just come to mama. She holds him for like eight hours. Then he dies. Then she gets up and she takes him to the house and she lays him on the bed and then she shuts the door. That was the part that got me. She shuts the door. Would it not have been okay for her to just forget about shutting the door? I'm in a little bit of a hurry. My son's dead. I'm trying to get to Elijah so he can be saved. You shut the door. Some of y'all, you just come into church today. You left the curling iron plugged in. You got eight outfits on the bed right now that you tried on. Your kid's cereal milk is still on the kitchen table because you were in a hurry to get here at 930, and so everything is just, you you weren't thinking about that. Some of you right now, you don't know if you closed the garage or not. You're not sure if you locked the door. Like you, honestly, you think about leaving right now just to check. You don't know. Yet this woman, and you didn't have an emergency. You were just coming to church. This woman's son is dead. And she's shutting the door. I'm just confused. I'm uncomfortable with her level of composure. There's just a moment where I'm wanting to know, like, how is it that in a world where results rule, she lets patience take priority? Right? we, We live in a culture right now, church, where results are what matters. You jump on Instagram, there's this new thing, I don't know if y'all have seen this, where people will be celebrating the Dave Ramsey process that brought them out of debt. Have y'all seen this? And there'll be a picture of a couple and they'll have like a whiteboard and it'll be like $50,000 in debt. And they'll be like, ah, you know, and like you see that and you're like, oh, you know. Or you see the workout results where someone's like, hey, this was me, you know, 12 uh, months ago and this was me now. And you see the results. And we're just, a re- we're, we're a results-driven culture. 
Like, I want to see results. I want to see, re- nobody wants to see the process. We want to see the results, right? Like, I don't, want to see how, I don't want to see how you cook the food. I want to see what the food looks like after it's cooked. I, you know, I don't, want to see, I don't want to see the process of a good marriage. I just want a good marriage. So, so it's all about results, and results rule. And yet in a culture where results rule, this woman makes sure that patience takes priority. Can I tell you, Spirit of God dropped this into me a couple, a couple weeks ago, and I was sharing it with somebody in the hallway one night, one day. Um, can I tell you why we struggle with patience? Because we can't post patience. Right? How, how are you going to post patience? Th- think, think about the couple that didn't drink, that they, they, they paid off their debt, but they didn't drink, you know, Coca-Cola or Starbucks for six months or whatever it is. Nobody's posting that because nobody wants to see that. That's depressing. I, I want to see the results, right? The, the individual that, that, that they got the 12, you know, I look like this and now I look like this. If they would have taken you through their actual process, all the sweat they were sweating at the gym and all the nasty food they had to eat and all the protein shakes they had to drink. And all, but we don't want none of that. We don't want to talk about none of that because you can't post patience. I want results. The problem is that literally the secret sauce to a successful shift is patience. Patience. For you and I to be able to see the shift that we're asking, to be a successful shift, we have to have patience. And because of the culture we live in, we're starting to believe that when you see it, you should be able to click it and then have it. Right? Did you know you could have your groceries delivered? Oh, my gosh. I got to tell you this story. I knew that you could go to Kroger and they could bring them out to you. Like, I had experience. I mean, it's 2020. I knew that. You know what I mean? Like, it's a new world. So the other night, we're at the house, and Darla's like, she keeps telling me, I got to go grocery shopping, I got to go grocery shopping. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Well, it's raining outside. It's cold. And so I've been, I'm working, so I'm kind of going in and out of the living room, and she's on the living room couch. And so I come in one time. She goes, hey, babe, I don't really want to get out in the weather, and so I'm going to order the groceries. That's what she says. I'm going to order the groceries. And I'm thinking she's going to get in the car, drive to Kroger, they're going to put them in her car, and that's what she means by not having to get out in the weather. So I'm like, okay, cool, order the groceries. So I, I go on. And I'm coming back through, and she's like, hey, baby, you, know, you need any more waters? And I'm like, nope. And she's on her phone. And so I come back through, you know, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes later, and she's done. No phone in her hand. She's watching TV. I said, did you order the groceries? She said, yeah, order the groceries. I was like, wow, that's cool. I said, let me know when you need to go get them. So I, I, she doesn't even answer. I just go back, just keep on working. About 45 minutes goes by, and there's a doorbell ring at our door. And I'm like, who's at our house right now? And so I go and look at the door, and the door opens, and this complete stranger that I've never seen in my life steps into our doorway with grocery bags in her hand. And Dola's like, oh, thank you. You know, she talks to her for a minute, and she puts the grocery bag, and then the door closes. And I'm looking, I'm like, babe, what is that? Are those Kroger bags? <laughs> I was like, who is this stranger? She said, yeah, I ordered the groceries to be delivered. I said, to be delivered? So somebody went to Kroger in my presence and picked out my cookies with no cookies because we're fasting and then came to the house for you and gave them to us so you could sit on the couch? Yeah, babe. Now she's confused by, you know, she's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, yeah. I told her, I said, if this continues, you'll never see me again. Church, you will never, I will be at the house 24-7. 
It just continues. If I can do everything from my couch, you will never see my physical body again. You know, I'm standing, this was blowing my mind. I'm like, you're on the couch. You said what you wanted. You clicked it. And then 45 minutes later, it was there. Why am I the only one amazed by this? Listen, I remember when I learned to drive, my dad would say, now that you can drive, here's the keys. You're going to Kroger. And I hated it. And I'd go to Kroger, and I had the little list, you know, that they'd write, and I'd be walking through, and I'd be like, excuse me, ma'am, where is bacon? I don't, where is bacon? Because I don't hang out at Kroger, and so I'd have to go get the groceries, and then you'd have to go stand in a long line. See, some of you young people, you didn't experience a long line because when you were born, there was already self-checkout, right? So you know, you, you're like, I didn't even know they had employees at Kroger. Yes, <laughs> and a lot of times they're rude, and you would stand in line for hours, just trying to get some lettuce, right? You know, notice, you ain't going to go down to the convenience store because the lettuce is $150 at the convenience store. So you sit through Kroger. And this is, I'm amazed. Like, what has happened to our culture that my wife was in pajamas and went grocery shopping? Hallelujah. Right? Apparently, I need counseling because y'all are not. I was blown away. But then it made me think about this. We've created a culture where we can think about it Find it, click on it, get it. And if we're not careful, we start to think that God moves the same way. And we start to think, I want to shift. So I should be able to think of it, pray about it, write it down, and get it. Right? That's the problem. Is that in order to really have a real shift, it's going to take patience. There's going to have to be some time. Same Paul that wrote the letter to the church in Rome writes a letter to the church in Galatia. And watch what he says this. Shoot that, uh, that verse up in Galatians for me. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not give up, for at a proper time. Patience reveals the proper time. What we don't want is for the shift to happen prematurely, right? We don't want it to be early, and we don't want it to be late. We want it to be at the proper time. So our shift is going to take, it's going to come with pain, and it's going to come with patience. Here's the last thing, and, I, and I'm going to go a little deep with you for a second, and that's the purpose that comes with our shift. All right, can, can we go deep for real quick? Real quick, I'm almost done. Can we go deep? Y'all ready? Say, say go deep, Pastor. All right, so right off the bat, let me say this. The thing that I'm learning, the more I grow in my relationship with God, the thing I'm learning is that everything God does in my life is multi-purpose, has multi-layers of purpose. Let me explain. When you came down and you wrote marriage on a tag and you tagged it to the board, the chances are you already had in your mind exactly what you were asking God to do, Right? When you wrote marriage, it was, I want my husband to affirm me more. Like, that, that, that's how specific you were when you wrote it. Finan you wrote finances and all that. That looked vague. You had something specifically in your mind. I wanted to pay off that, that debt. Like, you, you, when we do that, that's, that's the way we operate with the shift, is we have a clear expectation. And so when we think about God shifting and you hear somebody on stage go, God's going to have a shift in 2020, you connect it to that one thing. But there's more to story. So walk with me with this woman that's in Shunem, and some of the stuff I'm going to talk about we didn't read through because we didn't have time. So right off the bat, 
this woman builds a story for Elijah. She thinks that's the end of it. Elijah says, you're now going to have a son because there's more to the story. Now she has a son and the son dies. Spoiler alert, Elijah comes back and resurrects him back to life. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. Okay? So now she has the son, the son dies, and then God resurrects the son. What was the point? What was the point? There's more to the story. I'm going to give you two things that are just extra to her having a son. First thing was this. I didn't read about this, but when the woman got on the donkey and she went to visit Elijah, when she showed up, Jehazi tried to stop her. Elijah, Elijah saw her coming and told Jehazi, go check on her and see what's wrong. As she was walking to where Elijah was, Jehazi comes and she goes, ah, move out my way, Jehazi. Literally puts a hand in his face, keeps on moving. So she goes up to the room where Elijah is. Bible says she busts in the door and she goes right down to his feet and grabs his feet. It's so embracive that the Bible says that Jehazi comes to pull her off of Elijah and Elijah says, no, leave her. Watch this. It's the same woman that when we read last week, she was too timid to even come into the room. She was in the doorway, right? Remember that? So she's, when it comes to her relationship with the Spirit of God, she is timid. Now because of what she's been through and the shift she's been through, she's one hand in Jehazi, stiff-arming him, and walking right into Elijah's door and grabbing his feet because the relationship has shifted. The shift wasn't just about her relationship with her son. It was about her relationship with God. The shift that's going to happen in your life isn't just about your marriage, it's about you and God. There's more to it. There's more to the story. Make sense? Whatever we've envisioned as God's shift, that is something he will do, but it's multi-layer. It's multi-purpose. There's more to it. Can I, can I prove more? Say, show me more. All right, so, show me more. Show me more. I want some rolls. Could you hurry up? And so, here's the deal. This whole story is in 2 Kings chapter 4. And, and if you don't know it, you think the story ends in 2 Kings chapter 4 because it gets wrapped up with a really pretty bow. Elijah comes back, and again, we're going to talk about this next week, comes back, heals the boy, the boy sneezes seven times, and it's, just, it's a beautiful story. And if you're not careful, you think it's over. But she shows back up in 2 Kings chapter 8. And let me tell you what's happening in 2 Kings chapter 8. Elijah has gone to the woman and he has said this. After he healed her son, he went to her and said, your land is about to take, go through a famine. God's going to send them through a famine and they're not going to have food, not going to have water. So I want you to leave for seven years and then I want you to come back. So the woman says, okay, I'm going to do what you said. So she leaves and then she comes back. So seven years, she comes back, the famine's over, and now she comes back. Well, this woman is an OG. She comes back on a mission to go and meet with the king and get all the things that her land deserves back, right? That's her plan. Here's the problem. In that culture, women were not respected, right? They, they were not valued. So more than likely, when she walks into the room with that king, she's probably going to be arrested or kicked out or whatever it might be, okay? So I just want to set you up. So this woman's coming back. She wants to get everything for her, her land, her people, and watch what happens, all right? This, this, do me a favor. Just, just put your hand on the person beside you. Squeeze their wrist a little bit. Squeeze their wrist a little bit so they look at you. And look at them and say this. Say, the Bible is amazing. Did you mean that when you said it? Did you mean that when you said it? Grab, squeeze, squeeze a little bit harder. Act like you're trying to check their pulse. If they're single and you're single, ask for a phone number. It's okay. Hallelujah. I got you, Rach. Just, I'm sorry. Spirit gone. Uh, say, the Bible's amazing. Watch this. 
put this up for us. We're going to all read this together. 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 3 through 7. At the end, put it up on the screen for me. I'm sorry. At the end of the seven years, she came back to the land of the Philistines, and she went to appeal to the king or from the land of the Philistines, went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. I'm going to appeal to the king. When she shows up, the king was talking to who? Jehazi. Jehazi is Elijah's right-hand man, right? The same dude she went, er, to. The king was talking to Jehazi, and the servant of the man of God had said, tell me about all great things Elijah's done. Next verse. Just as Jehazi was telling the king how Elijah had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elijah had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and the land. Jehazi's telling the king about Elijah. He's like, look, one time, one time, we went, we stayed at this woman's house, and she built a room for Elijah, and, and, he, and he, he gave her a son, prophesied that she'd have a son, and then she had a son, and then the son died out in the field, and then me and, and Elijah, we came back to the house, and, and Elijah laid on the boy, put nose to nose, hand to hand, uh, toes to toes, and prayed over, and the boy came, he's in the middle of telling the king, and that door opens. This little woman comes walking in, ready to talk to the king. Anybody, anybody there? And look what Jehazi says. This is the woman. This is the woman, my Lord King. This is her son whom Elijah restored to life. As, as he's telling the king about the son, the son walks into the room. Catching this? So this king's sitting back. I got to come down. I don't know what it's going to be like for online, so sorry. But king's sitting back. He's got like some emperor popcorn or whatever kings eat. I don't know. Like a whole ham, maybe. They're like, they're like waving him with palm branches. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And then what happened? Like then, then, then the boy was raised from the dead. And he's like, man, that's phenomenal. That's crazy. This God you serve is amazing. That's so incredible. And then, who is that? Who's, who's that coming up into my? Jehazi turns around. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. That's the woman and the boy in the story that I'm telling you about. The king's like, what? Come here, come here. And so down comes the son and the mom. And I'm, I'm making up stuff now because I can't imagine. He's like, tell me from your point of view. What'd you think when your son died in your lap? You know what I mean? Like he's, just, he's just getting real with them. And then at some point he goes, well, well what, are you, what are you here for? But the king asked the woman about it. She told him. Then he assigned an official to her, to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, including all of the income from her land. Watch this. From the day she left the country until now. You think the day she sat there and that little boy died in her lap, she went through the pain, she had the patience, think she really thought that this was part of the process she thought this was the shift but God is about multi-layers and so God says I'll do one shift but I'm also going to do ten more and it's going to impact way more than just your marriage or just your finances or just your house or I'm going to do so much more because there's more to the story what you think ends in chapter 4 is going to pick back up in chapter 8. The very thing that you're praying for and you're asking for God to shift is going to shift that and so much more.
if, if you leave today, I said it like this in my prayer time. God, if there's anything Victory Church, I want to go down remembering it's this about God, that God operates in multi-purposes. That is what it is. And so I want to pray over you for this reason. Because in 2020, for last week, you, you wrote down what you wanted a shift to be in. When I wrote my tag, I did two things. I wrote what I wanted God to do a shift in, and then I wrote a phrase that my wife has been training me to say, which is, surprise me, God. Surprise me, God. Because I want you to shift what I want you to shift, but I also want you to do what you want to do. Right? I want there to be so much more than just this. I want the chapter 4 and the chapter 8. I want this miracle and that miracle. I want you to restore my marriage and make me a better husband. And I want my kids to see the way me and my wife interact, and I want them to grow up to have healthy marriages. I want you to do more than just what I wrote on that tag. Amen? The year of 2020 is not just what you wrote, but it's God, when it comes to the shift in my life, surprise me. Do whatever it is you want to do. Lord, we thank you right now for your faithfulness, for your word. We thank you that you have put a desire on our heart for an area in our life to see shifted. I pray for every marriage, for every financial situation, Lord, for every person's health, every tag that was on there from help me find a husband to help me pass an exam. God, every need that was on that board, I lift up to you right now. And I don't just pray for that need though. I pray for that need, but I also pray for the things that you wanna do in our lives that are not on that tag. You want to do beyond, more and more beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And so for every household that's represented in this room this morning, I officially pray over us, God, surprise us. Surprise us. Heal our marriages. Heal our finances. Do all the things that we're asking. But on top of that, surprise us. So that in the year of 2020, we can truly see a shift. We know it's going to come with pain. We know it's going to take patience. But at the end of the day, God, we understand that the purpose behind it is more than we could ever understand in our minds. Guide us, lead us, direct us, keep us in your word. And Lord, you have permission to shift things in our life and to give us the greatest surprise we've ever had. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 